0: Take the usual podcast hosting companies and you'll stay in expensive wonderland. Take the Podcaster Matrix hosting and you'll experience a completely different world of whole podcast library hosting. Choose wisely at PodcasterMatrix.com. That's PodcasterMatrix.com. This is The Versus Machine Podcast, a comparison of great things. The Versus Machine takes on two works of art, one source material and one adaptation, and processes it through to discover the differences and similarities of the two. Whether those differences are good or bad is up to you. After all, it's what happens when you transform one medium into another. It's time to engage The Versus Machine.
1: Machine is on, and it's time again to run two items through it. I'm Nicholas J. Hearn from Two Guys Talking Horror. And I'm Mike Wilkerson from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. It's great to be back in the Versus Machine, Mike. It is. We've got a lot to cover, but first, some housekeeping. The Curious Goods Podcast. Mike, do you remember that show from the late 80s about cursed antiques and the hunt to find them and lock them away?
2: I don't, Nick. Why don't you tell me and the audience the whole detail of that show?
1: Well, see, the thing is is that that show, a lot of people do remember that show. They just can't remember what the name of that show is. Mm. That show is Friday the 13th, The Series. Mm. Mm. Uh, A nice little anthology show that revolved around an antique store that clientele likes their stuff uh, touched by the devil.
2: Oh, now I remember
1: it. Ah, good. See, I knew it would jog your memory
2: Yeah. It, it's a good thing that I do remember because, well, I'm your co-host for the exactly, Curious Goods podcast right. that covers all that.
1: Exactly, yes. So you and I have been reviewing every episode mm-hmm. of Friday the 13th, the series. Yeah. So if you have a taste for 80s anthology gold, head on over yeah. to the Curious Goods podcast where you will be able to listen to me and Mike talk about each and every episode of Friday the 13th. The series. We'll be sure to leave a link to the website in the show notes for this episode. The Podcaster Matrix. Mike, do you want to tell everybody about the Podcaster Matrix?
2: I do. It's the entity that's providing us with outstanding podcast media hosting. It's run by a bunch of OG podcasters and editors that not only provide us with a kick ass, speedy server, but they've got the knowledge of more than 13 years of. Of podcast experience and it's gold it allows you to dig deep and find out answers that you don't have mostly because you haven't been around as long as they have right and so i recommend everybody check out podcastermatrix.com not just for great speedy hosting but also for the knowledge base you're going to find there as well from the owners
1: the versus machine is all about education education of the source material Of the adaptation and what happens when you take something from one medium and change it to another today's episode we are taking i am legend the book published in 1954 and we're pitting it against i am legend the film from 2007. so mike have you read the book or seen the film? I've not read the book. I've seen
2: the film, what amounts to both versions of it, the ah, yes. okay. theater release and then the special edition add-ons that right. are thrown in to make the film something that it wasn't originally.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, barely, yes. Uh, okay, so uh, what about uh, any of the other adaptations of this film? There's actually been two other adaptations.
2: The only other thing I've seen that's in the same vein is Omega Man, and the reason that I've seen it is that the Blu-ray set that I got mm. was two movies... And I don't think it's sides. I think they're both on one side of the Blu-ray because oh, wow, okay. it can hold so much. But it's Omega Man and then it's I Am Legend. Wow. Okay. With all of the features that came with the special edition Blu-ray release for I Am Legend.
1: Well, See, now that, that's strange because I, I would have thought they would have put Last Man on Earth, which is the first film adaptation of I Am Legend. Starring Vincent Price, actually came out in 1964 mm-hmm. with the Omega Man remake the second remake Omega Man starring Charlton Heshton. Yeah. I would have yeah. thought that they would have put those two together since they were more a classic feel but
2: I, I think it would be cool if they had all three I I, yeah. I I almost believe that you could fit all three onto a Blu-ray set Oh, definitely. my guess is that there's just a license set that they can't do that
1: well the flavor for each film is drastically different Mm. the original film last man on earth is the only one that richard matheson the author of the actual story had anything to do with it problem is is that it was such a small budget Mm -hmm. by the time the film was pushed out he kind of wanted to distance himself from it because it wasn't exactly the script that he delivered Mm. Funny enough though, it's the only film that is the closest adaptation to his book. Hmm. Because Omega Man, no, not not no, nowhere near the story from I Am Legend. And then of course, the film we're going to talk about today, I Am Legend starring Will Smith. Uh maybe an adaptation in spirit? <laughs> but but we'll definitely get into all of it. Yeah. That.
2: You know, there's a lot of adaptations that we're talking about here from the original book. Yeah. Three whole films. Yep. And I want to know from the audience, which have you guys seen? Mm. Go over to our website over at versusmachine.com, click on the contact button, fill out the quick web form, and tell us which of the adaptations you've seen.
1: Characters. Robert Neville. In the book... Robert Neville is the lone survivor of a strange disease that has turned people into vampiric, zombie like creatures. In the film, Robert Neville is an army doctor and the last survivor of a disease created by him to cure cancer. But instead, it kills most of the population of the planet and turns the rest into bloodthirsty, hulking creatures. So, obviously, big differences there where the main characters are concerned
2: what I really found striking about this is that so little of him is given inside of I am legend. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I'm not kidding. You've almost encapsulated everything you need to know about his character with the exception of maybe his familial relation, what happens to them inside the film. And beyond that, there's not a whole lot else to find out about Robert Neville. And I think that it's a, it's a strange little chemistry set of, will smith's fan magnetism mm-hmm. and his ability to portray a, a character it's not just this one it's whatever he puts his face No, yeah then your curiosity as the story is presented piecemeal via fragmented flashback mm-hmm. and originally uh, the first thing that turned me off was that there was any zombies in it at all i'm not i'm not the zombie guy I, I, I don't like zombies. Right. The, watching movies of them doesn't, especially when there's black goo flying out of face and look another headshot mm. or whatever else. That almost always turns me off, just because it's very often it's done for gore for gore's sake, and I don't care for that. Right. In this, however, there's a mix of yes, cure cancer, and there's a there's a wonderful scene as the as the movie begins with this woman that comes on to explain. Well, my yes, we have cured cancer, she says to the news anchor. And what you eventually learn is that the mix of both this disease and rabies transmogrifying Mm -hmm. is what impacts and infects people to become the zombie-like giant maud creatures inside of this film. I think that was lost to me the first time I saw it because I was not at all encouraged to see this
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. even though I'm a Will Smith fan even after first seeing it the first time I was not smitten with this movie at all
1: yeah yeah.
2: and I don't know if it was just the the attention span that was required or life was just busy or we had a three year old at the time I, I, I don't know but I was not at all interested in this movie in 2007 where over the course of the last month to prep for this mm-hmm. I've now watched this three times yeah And it it means something specifically different for me because of Robert Neville inside of this movie. I think what really got me about Robert Neville was this, is that the first time I saw this, I had a three-year-old. We had just purchased our first home, and it was a completely different environment for life. I I mean, it just simply was something different. Since then, both of my parents have died. Mm. My daughter is 15 years old, going on 25 (laughs) And life just looks a whole lot different through the cone of experience. Now, as we're recording this, we don't traditionally share this, but now it's 2019 as we record this. So 12 Mm. years later, it's a completely different movie for me now. The the portrayal takes on a completely different meaning from every single aspect of Robert Neville's life. Not just from being the lone survivor, Mm. not just from being the guy that kind of screwed humanity. But also from just being a father, right? that cone of existence that I had back then, it just simply doesn't exist anymore. And so it had way more impact on me now.
1: Hmm. The thing that I like about the book character and the film character, uh, one of the things that they actually got right was the fact that they're both family men. Hmm. And the loss of their family is devastating. Oh, yeah. I mean, almost, almost life ending for the both of them. Yeah. For the book being published in the 50s but taking place in the near future the the mid 70s so not only is it a, a, a horror story but it's also a little bit of a science fiction story because it also takes place in a not too distant future hmm. the characters though where the book is concerned it's an internal monologue for the majority of the book because we actually get to hear what's going on in Neville's mind oh. because well, there's nobody like around no to talk to. Yeah. So instead of having a crazy guy talk to himself constantly, you you have the internal monologue, and and it would. And is really, that how it's written? That yeah, that's that how, it's, how written. it's written. Okay, it's not it's not like it's nothing but his internal monologue, but right. it's a lot of his monologue.
2: That's very interesting. That's he, very interesting.
1: Unlike unlike uh, the film character, Neville is an alcoholic because of what's going on. There mm-hmm. is a a bombardment where these creatures are concerned because they show up every night to his house beckoning him to come outside. Mm. And he uses music to drown the things out, but mostly he uses alcohol to drown it out. Where you've got him in the film, he doesn't want the creatures to know where he lives at all because these creatures are incredibly strong and and violent. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the book they're vampiric because they want to drink they want to drink his blood but they're also very zombie like because they're they're not very strong they're not very fast and i think where the film is concerned the reason's why they they had to change things so much for the film you know of course you have to update things and and i have no problem with that you have to do that mm-hmm. but there's more action in i am legend the film than there is in the book because it's not about the action. It's it's about the struggle. Will Smith in the film gives a great performance and actually makes you believe the loneliness oh, that yeah. he feels. Oh and, and without having to have the internal monologue.
2: Right. And what he's got to do both in everyday almost OCD that mm-hmm. is O C D to help him propel his life so as to find an answer. Right. And I, I, he, he, he's incredibly driven, but you can get from the onset. And, and something else that didn't strike me in 2007 is that from the onset, you can feel how heavy a weight is on the shoulders of Will Smith.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, even as he's driving the car that is the spectacular opening of this film, it, it's not just that he wants to try and get something live to eat. Because, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you can go and grab pigeons whatever else you want, but well, yeah. let's have some venison. The, the want for something different, but that stays within the bounds of what he's created. Uh, that is incredibly impressionistic inside of the front end of this film. I loved it.
1: The Infected. In the book, The Infected show traits of classic vampire-like behavior. Being afraid of sunlight, mirrors, garlic, and religious items. Mm. But they also have limited strength and intelligence uh, similar to your classic zombie. In the film, the infected are thought to be mindless brutes with heightened reflexes and strength, with a taste for blood, and are highly allergic to sunlight. Now, this is one thing that I did not care for in the film. I don't understand why we had to go CGI monster. Mm. I, 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 didn't see, I didn't really see the need for it. The, the gaping
2: maw in particular is what, I think that's what originally drove me almost away from the film. Mm. Uh, The Gaping Mauve, all of them. It's not just the the main male character. It's all of them. They're all clearly CGI'd.
1: Yes. (sighs) And again, I don't want to date the CGI, but it's not great CGI. Mm -hmm. It's good, Mm -hmm. especially in the dark. But then when you have them in firelight or when they're almost outside and things like that, you can really tell, wow, that's that's not great CGI. I I think the piece of... What I
2: take from CGI, there's a there's a wonderful – we'll try and find it. I'm certain it's on YouTube. We'll find a link to the the video of how they actually were able to go, yes, we're going to do that mm. for the special effects of Jurassic Park. Oh, okay. And the want was that being four feet from a dinosaur, you needed to not know that you were four feet from a CGI dinosaur. Okay, well, mission, mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, yeah. without question. Right. Oh, yeah. And that's what's frustrating, is that that movie came out 11 years after Jurassic Park. I I was definitely looking for something different. And I think all of us can point to any feature film, even though I'm not a zombie fan. I can point to even television shows or streaming programming Mm -hmm. that right now have better effects, especially for
1: zombies, then were showcased inside of I Am Legend. Right. For me, where the film is concerned, I think they, because this came out in 2007, it's after the the film uh, 28 Days Later and 28 Weeks Later, which is supposed to have revolutionized fast zombies, even though the, the creatures in that aren't dead. So they're not zombies, but that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it was because they were filled with rage, they ran, they were violent. It was as if the filmmakers were like, ooh, let's do that, only... We'll change it up so that it doesn't look like we're stealing that shtick, mm-hmm. because in the book, it's much scarier. Because you have you have these people that crawl out of their homes, out of the ground, out of the sewers, every night after the sun goes down, and Neville is trapped inside his home mm-hmm. as they they circle around it, and he has mirrors and clothes of garlic. And religious items strung all around because these creatures believe that they're vampires. And in life, very interesting, uh, the way that it's described, in life, they believed these superstitions. So when they've died from this strange disease, they just naturally assume, oh, I'm a vampire. So all this stuff works on me. Ironically enough, a cross will not work on a Jewish vampire, but a star of David Will. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, again, it was more well, vampire when, yeah. than zombie in well, the in the story.
2: When they're encircling the house, is it like Michael from the Lost Boys, that kind of
1: thing? Almost. Uh, there's a, a neighbor, Bill Corbett, who constantly just, just yells his name. Neville! Come out, Neville! Hmm. They taunt him. Hmm. And depending on how deep his depression is that night, sometimes Neville gets close to the door to just go out there and end it all. But then most of the time, uh, uh, it's it's always a struggle. It's always a fight. And you don't get that in the film because, of course, it's stay hidden. They're too powerful because if they find me, I'm dead. Right. The dog. In the book, Neville sees the dog wandering the streets and spends weeks desperately trying to gain its trust in hopes of gaining a companion. In the film, the dog, Sam, is Neville's constant companion and sidekick as Neville captures infected and uses them as test subjects. So so here is a, a big part, and it's, it's impactful both in the book and in the movie. And after having watched it three times, not in a row, but three times recently, yes, the dog dies in both the book and in the film, but in drastically different ways. Mm. Again, like I said, the the dog is kind of just like something that happens in the book that gives Neville a spark of hope, a reason to keep going, because he's at, he's at a low point, and now he finds a dog wandering his his neighborhood, and yeah. he, he, he's doing everything he can to try to find it, and it always runs away and scurries yeah. away. it
2: turns into a two-shoes environment. Right, like, and so he, he, yeah.
1: he leaves food on the porch and allows the dog to... Come, eat, and leave whenever he wants, and as the weeks go by, Neville sits out on the on the porch away from the food, allowing the dog to come to come closer and as it progresses, he's able to get close enough to pet the dog, even though it's still growling, it's still eating, but it is allowing him to pet him. He finally gets the dog to come inside, but the problem is is that the dog's infected, so now that he has the dog inside. All he can do is take care of the dog until it dies. Mm-hmm. Yet, yet he finds he finds something to hold on to to give him hope, and then just as he's about to form a friendship with it, it it's going to die. Mm-hmm. So he does what he can to make the dog's last the, the last week of its life as comfortable as possible, and then yet loses another piece of hope. And the dog's infected, but it's not infected to have a bloodthirst for him. It wasn't infected before, but evidently at some point in time. Before he was able to get it to come into the house, it got infected. Something mm-hmm. had gotten to it, mm-hmm. and the infection is slow. It is a slow moving infection, unlike the movie where it's
2: minutes, min- minutes or, to
1: to you know an hour, half an hour, you know, mm-hmm. depending on how how severe the the wound is. And that, yet again, that's the movie death because they they got to hit you. They they have to they have to pound at you. The book, you're there with Neville, and by this time in the book, you're you're so. In sync with his character, that you're feeling the loneliness too. So you're you, you want him to have the be able to have this dog as a companion, mm-hmm. and then he loses it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like oh oh, oh poor doggy. In the movie, the dog is the whole reason for Will Smith to be able to speak, really, because he talks to the dog.
2: Well, it also becomes a tether back to his family. In fact, the last true tether. a, a, a Beyond huge his memory. tether.
1: Yes, right, exactly. Beyond his memory, but film wise. How do we get Will Smith to be able to have dialogue in this film without him talking to himself? Mannequins. Give him a dog. Well, give him mannequins to make it, Make it. he's lost it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the dog, you can have a conversation, because all pet owners have conversations with their pets. Oh, yeah. I talk to my dog all the time and and she looks at me like she's understanding what the hell I'm talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and unfortunately in the in the in the film, it's much more grandiose of how Sam the dog dies because the the creatures have set a trap. They are intelligent enough to set a trap and actually have hounds, mm-hmm. infected hounds with them as well. so pets as well. And again, it's all these these pieces that they're dropping to saying, "Hey, these are these creatures have a society now. You're just not seeing it, but we'll get to that later." And the dog dies defending Neville, and you know, sadly, he has to break its neck before it turns. Heart wrenching moment in in the film. My thing is, is that it there wasn't enough time after the dog's death before new characters were introduced. There wasn't enough time for Neville to actually deal with the, for me, the depression. Because if you remember the progression of the film, Dog dies. That night he goes out and sets a trap for the creatures, basically a suicide mission. And he's rescued by, quote unquote, survivors. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll get to them.
2: Right. I think what I appreciated most about the, especially the dog's death Mm -hmm. scene, there's a dangling piece of family life that lives within the dog because of how he acquired the dog. Right. Right. I never got the saccharine taste that other people have mentioned in regard to that. Oh, it's the dog that the daughter gave to him. I, I don't have any saccharine in, in that at all. And I mean, like, you can't take care of the dog to wherever they're going to take the people inside the helicopter. So it made made total sense to oh, me. Yeah, yeah. And that he ends up needing to not just kill the dog, but that he's got to essentially hug it to death. Because yeah. he, he actually just choked it to death. Um, what I also appreciated was the, the, the speed and the, the real effects that they used to mm-hmm. showcase the onset of the dog being taken over, but then also the death of the dog. I mean, it's yeah. it's obviously a stuffed dog that didn't <laughs> right. kill the dog, right. but I found all of that incredibly, not only heart-wrenching,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but you talked about a piece of the depression, and the piece of the depression goes from zero to a thousand miles an hour in a matter of 35 seconds for him inside of that scene alone. Yeah. Um, they do step on the gas pedal and he does his suicide mission shortly thereafter. So I'm, I'm, I'm on board with you there that I didn't, it's not that I didn't care for that. I thought it was extreme. Yeah. Um, that, that, that he would either never find another dog that wasn't infected or be able to befriend another animal. I don't know. I, He's not going to go out there and tame one of those lions or no, anything. I mean, no. I, I get that. But... Well,
1: I mean, I get that his he, his last tether to his family has now died. I I, I get that. I, that's part of the oh. why it's so heartbreaking. Oh, and then he had to kill him. And, yeah, exactly. He had to kill the last tether to his family. I yeah. I get all of that. Okay. it plays the fields. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It, it, it manipulates me perfectly. Okay, because I cry every single time I see that. scene. I do too. I do too. But again. <laughs> The dog as the sidekick character for the majority of this movie changes the dynamic that Neville and the dog have in the yeah, original yes. book version. Absolutely. And I'm not saying that this is a bad thing. I like the fact that the dog is around during the movie because the dog has character. Mm-hmm. It is a character oh, and yeah. has character. Mm-hmm. It's just two different extremes where the book and the film are concerned. The Female Survivor. In the book, after three years of living alone, Neville encounters Ruth, strolling around in the sunlight, who he then captures and interrogates. In the film, after a nighttime assault against the infected, Neville is injured and rescued by Anna and a small boy named Ethan, who take him back to his home and heal. So yeah, extremes totally different this time. Where the book is concerned, Neville has he he's he's all right with with life. He's almost gotten to the point to where, yep, this is how things are going to be. During the day, I'm going to enjoy what I can of the sunshine. I'm going to kill me some vampires while they sleep, and at night, I'll do my research and try not to go crazy. And then he sees a woman, the first live woman in his mind, live woman that he's seen in 3 years just strolling around in the sunlight. He's this big bearded guy who's now hey hey come over here. And of course the the girl is afraid. So she starts running. So he starts running after her and it's it's almost like an attack. He's been alone for so long. He can't believe that this is real. Mm. And in the film, it was kind of played the same way when the infected pulled the trap, when they moved one of the mannequins to a different area. You see Will Smith lose his mind because, well, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be there, you're supposed to be over there. How did you get there? There's nobody here. Yeah. Are a, you it, real?
2: Yeah, it's one of the most impressive pieces of the oh, movie yeah. as well.
1: If, because if you, there was a reel for him to win an Oscar, for your consideration, that would be the section oh, yeah. that I would show there, the, the Academy. Uh,
2: there's no question. It also becomes the question mark inside of the program, because until now, we know that they just kind of huddle in a circle in dark places and huff. Yeah. They don't do anything else, obviously.
1: Well, at night, Except you, don't that they see don't. They, right. you don't see what you they see do. You don't see what they do. You see nothing what they do. You just hear them yelling and moaning and 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 tearing stuff up in the street so yeah Yeah. the big difference though is that in the book ruth is undercover she's spying on neville Hmm. because she is actually a part of a society of people who were alive when they were affected and didn't die if you die from this infection you come back as the zombie-like creatures that want your blood
2: oh okay okay but
1: if you're infected and you don't die from the infection you still have all of the maladies you still think you're a vampire so sunlight's going to bother you 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 don't want to look at mirrors you you're allergic to garlic and things like that but they have built a society to where they've developed drugs to curtail most of that to where they have they have true, a working way of things yeah uh, yeah kind of kind of true bloodish okay but they're not drinking synthetic blood right now in the movie it's just randomly this woman hears neville's Radio, radio transmission call, right. and and ends up uh, showing up and drops the bombshell on him that well no you're not you're not the last survivor there's there are still people there's out a colony there. right yeah there's col- no there can't I, be a colony I, and
2: I love that too the the dynamic of Will Smith's assertion that there is no colony yeah that it's just become this if there if somebody has said that they're saying that just to hold on to some false hope
1: well right. And, and, and I simple, love that—that that, the that, simple that, fact that, that he has two people great. standing in front of him who are immune as well, and yet he's still saying, "There's nobody else. There can't be a colony." For a scientist, for you know, for, for a scientist, you, you that also shows the level of. Deterioration of his of, of, yeah. of, of his mind.
2: Well, it's the growth of the loneliness that I think right. you're yes, referring to. Exactly. And
1: that, the uh, loneliness and the depression. Yeah,
2: again, over the, I think in total since 2007, I've seen this probably six times. Mm-hmm. And each time I watch it, it's why I watched it so many times between when we first started talking about doing the Versus Machine of this. Yeah. Between then and now, that's why I've watched it so much. And every time I watch it, there's something else I latch on to. Mm-hmm. That I not only didn't see before, but that contains a meaning that I did not grab before. And that's what I find extraordinary about visiting things inside of either the Versus Machine or the Perspective review set is because I love that. I love the little light bulb moments that movies especially like this one Mm -hmm. that I did not like originally can now convey to me in a variety of different ways because of my own perspective. I really enjoy
1: that. Yeah, I I don't want to say that I hate this film because I don't hate the film. Right. I just hate the fact that it's called I Am Legend. And we will definitely get to that, to, to the reason why I don't feel that this film lives up to the name of the actual book that it's based off as we continue with the review. story beats location now in the book the story takes place in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. California mm. but in the film we're in New York City, we're in Manha- on Manhattan Island. It really doesn't change the story at all, but in certain ways it does. You know, you have the sunniness of California and California is so spread out. You've got the, you know, the city proper where you've got your buildings <sighs> but then you have all of the different areas that are just residential whereas when you're on Manhattan Island it it's buildings it, it's just buildings and building and tall tall buildings tall tall buildings a concrete jungle the film does a great job with giving you the emptiness of New York you know and, and there they did a great job with the special effects but in the book You know, Neville is constantly has to has to worry about. Okay, so sun goes down; it's a certain amount of time. If I'm driving all the way out to this area, because this is an area I haven't killed vampires in yet, it's going to take me roughly a few hours to do that. But I got to make sure that I'm back on the road to get back to the house before it gets too dark, before I can't get into the house anymore, and that becomes a real danger especially in the book, because it happens a couple of times. If he's focused on something and he's not watching the sun, and remember, in the book, this is 1954, it was written in 1954, but based in 1970s, there's no digital watches. Mm-hmm. You can't set yourself an alarm and remind you. You have to constantly be looking at, that, at the sky. In California, the sun is key. Whereas, and I've never been to Manhattan, I've never been to New York, but I've I've seen plenty of movies and, you know, unless the sun is right above you, those buildings are casting a whole bunch of shadow in this film. Shadows are just as dangerous as full on dark. Mm-hmm. I love the sprawl
2: that we see inside of New York where yeah, yeah. it's it's not only overgrown. It was some special I remember seeing. It's got to be a decade ago now, and it's something like earth in a thousand years it, it, it's something right. like that i don't remember what it was but it, it's where you would have to try and open your mind for a second and realize what exactly would happen in let, let's just say 30 years yeah to a city like manhattan okay well you kind of see what's going on inside of it mm-hmm. where not only is it just disarray because that's what was mm-hmm. whenever everybody ended up dying off or well, well, being yeah. transmogrified or whatever but that's kind of what's left. I think that's one of the other things I really appreciated about the film is the the city kind of becomes a character. Yes. It, it's like a board game platform mm-hmm. that he gets to go and venture out on. And his chiming clock, literally his watch, right. allows him to beat feet. And hopefully he's sticking within an X amount of miles uh, detailing and making notes or mental notes, whether it's real or mental notes, yeah. about where he's been so that he knows that he's got time to get back. What I also appreciated was that they used the centerpiece of every day at midday I will be at blah when the sun is highest in the sky. Yeah. And I love that mostly because it becomes a piece of the radio call that is something that after watching even just a couple of times you can actually say the words yourself. mm mm-hmm. And that's something that I really appreciate because it instantly baptizes you inside of the world of Robert Neville. Yeah. In that it's become so regular and that he's able to just accidentally skirt outside of what he traditionally does to go do something new or something different. And I I think that's all comes to a giant head when you see that Fred has left where he's been for years. Right.
1: Well, well, and that's a, that's another thing. love that, that. That's another reason why I think that they changed it is because New York City is more visually interesting than just sub, some suburban area yeah. in California, and then maybe we drive into the city. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I think that's what you got from Omega
2: Man, too, is that right. inside of Omega Man, it is Los Angeles. Yes. And it is significantly different looking. For For those of you that think that all cities look the same, they do not look the same. No. Like...
1: Like, at all. Los Angeles on a Sunday morning, because that's when they shot all of those city scenes. Yeah. Early Sunday mornings when nobody was nobody out. Was nothing's active. there. No, 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 nothing's Zero. open, nothing's going on. Right. So you're able to get that desolate feeling from L.A. back then when mm-hmm. that film was shot. You can't do that today. Right, no. You know, that's impossible. But again, I think I think filmmaking-wise... It's visually more interesting to have it set in New York because, mm-hmm. well, it's 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 New York. Well,
2: and they hadn't actually done that. I mean, that, that's the other big thing, is that while the well, vast now, majority of the CGI CGI cover, right, the progression of what they had done for this film had never been New York. It had always been West Coast.
1: Right, right, yeah. In in any version up until this, they've always kept it on the West Coast.
2: Yeah. We'd be remiss if we also didn't mention that, just as an accidental ha-ha, inside of one of the billboards is the Batman-Superman logo that was used almost one-to-one inside of the Batman versus Superman feature film.
1: Well, not accidentally, Mike. That was on purpose. It was on purpose. Warner Brothers purposely, Mm. because remember, the movie came out in 2007, Mm -hmm. but it takes place in 2009. Ah. So Warner Brothers said all all of the set dressing in New York, movie posters, uh, Broadway posters, things like that, mm-hmm. that would all be things that would have come out at the time of the fall of of civilization. Hmm. So it was it was a nice little wink and a nod, but you are right. It is almost exactly like the the symbol that they eventually did use when they finally did give us that poorly The downfall of humanity in in the DC universe, anyway. It it was the downfall of humanity (laughs) in the DC universe. Finding a Cure. In the book, Neville is not a doctor or a scientist, just an intelligent man who decides to spend his lone existence learning about the disease in hopes of finding a cure. He kills the undead during the day as part of his research. In the film, Neville is a U.S. Army virologist who helped create the cancer carrying drug. He is one of the 1% of the human population immune to the disease, and he captures infected and runs tests on them. So, huge difference where all of these films adaptations Mm -hmm. are concerned. Oh, yeah. In the book... Neville had some military training. He was a part. He, was, he he talks about the war. He has a cross tattoo that he got while he was in the army. But they don't really focus a lot on that. He used to work at a plant with his next door neighbor, uh, and they used to carpool. But they never really say what they did at that plant. Never is it said that he has a medical degree or any kind of uh, any kind of grasp on any of the sciences. Because there's a lot of time spent him breaking into libraries, and grabbing books on blood-borne pathogens mm. and diseases, and and studying that stuff, which I find fascinating for the read. Because here you are, you got to remember the the story being written in the fifties, taking place in the you know not too distant future, but there's there, no internet, you can't look stuff up. You actually have to go to a a, a big building mm-hmm. filled with books and then try to find the area in which the, the subject is, that you wanted to read about is located. And to spend your the, the apocalypse just doing that? I mean, think about it. I'm with you. What, I'm with you. Why? I mean, here, here you are, you, you are a survivor. You, you, you can't be infected. Uh, and they talk about that, too. They, because this is a vampiric story, the reasoning, and he he doesn't even Neville doesn't even say that well, this is scientific fact, but he just he muses about it. He's like, well, you know, when I was in the army, uh there was this one time where we were in a really bad area, and I was bit by a very large bat, and I was sick for a while, but i but i I got better. So we are led to believe that because he had previously encountered a version of this virus that he was able to fight off, that's why he did not succumb to the full-on global pandemic. But again, it's not scientifically proven because he can't scientifically prove it. Right. But then you look at all of the the films where, you know, Last Night on Earth, Omega Man, and I Am Legend, Robert Neville is always talked about being a scientist. And I understand why they do that film-wise because you you cut out the middleman. Some audience members would go, well, how is he learning how to do this? How how does he know how to do this? Well, you say he's a doctor or a scientist. And like, okay, well, you can do whatever you want, man. As long as you're holding a beaker and you've got a a, a microscope, I'll believe whatever you say. But if you had to take the time to see a guy and, okay, so I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm reading, not only do you have to remember what you're reading, but then you have to cross-reference what you're reading and build that. It's literally you're taking yourself to school and teaching yourself.
2: You're making your own internal internet, essentially. Is what you're yeah, growing.
1: and it's and to try it, to pull that off visually, unless you're you have a, a series, and you can pull you could pull something like that off if you if you have a series where you're following a character and you're seeing that he's learning these new skills mm-hmm. because he's teaching himself how to yeah. do these things. Yeah. But if you try to do that in a film, well, you're dealing with a four-hour film for some audience members to actually believe that he could pull that off yeah
2: one i think the sample lightly that you can take from that is something like castaway Hmm. because in castaway i i think all of us have at some point had a friend say hey you're on a desert island and you have infinite electricity and you can only watch one movie what are you watching
1: right okay that's really cool i'm watching castaway (laughs) except that there's no electricity right there's no and
2: there's no watching movies and you don't get to do that you get to try and live Mm. And I, I know that all of the, not not the program Survivor, but the survival programs, the reason that I bother watching those is because I love to kind of accidentally think, you know, like, how many days would I last?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because exactly.
2: I, I like to think that I'm tena- I'm tenacious and that, you know, backs against the wall, I am going to live. And I would like to give myself some really good odds. Mm-hmm. But it's life. Right. I mean, like... <laughs> If you found yourself on a desert island, would you be able to do all of the things that Chuck, inside of Castaway, is able to do successfully, and then thankfully he just gets found one day? Right. Well, you know, and it, the answer is no. It, my my, well, my answer is no. No. I would not be able to be Chuck. I, would I like could make to my think, fire, but <laughs> as soon as we got past fire and the food's gone,
1: I'm uh, kind of done with the whole wisdom teeth thing. Sorry. Oh, well, yeah. See, now that was the that was the part where it's like, oh no, game game over, man, man. <laughs> for me. Yeah. But but the the great thing about your example with Castaway is is that he gets marooned. You see him struggling, and then just before we cut, we have this glimmer of hope that ooh, maybe he'll make it, and then you know we cut to thunk. several years later, thunk, and he's this Fish kiss. Yeah. He, I'm I, you know I am man who make fire. Yeah. I can throw a spear yards away and catch a fish. So we assume because of because of that cut, it was like, "Oh, so he did it. He taught himself how to be able to do all this stuff and he survived." That works. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, uh, unfortunately, we're not talking about castaway. We're talking about I Am Legend.
0: Right. But, now that yeah. would
1: work in a film version of I Am Legend if we wanted to do a real adaptation of what this story
0: yeah. Was yeah.
2: What well, the the other thing you have to remember too, and it's the swath of becoming not only an army doctor, mm. but becoming someone that is, that didn't just get the survival skills to be in the army, but in the elite levels of the army, no less. Right. Because he's not just he's not just a grunt that knows how to use knife skills and jujitsu. Yeah, that's not who this guy is. It's it's another level up. He strives for excellence. Oh, and by the way, he's the last person on planet Earth. Yeah. And he's driven. I think that's the other thing that you know, you you look at Will Smith's Well, he has the sense of responsibility. Right. You look at Will Smith's acting career and you look at the physicality that he's taken on in roles like Muhammad Ali. Mm, Yeah. And and just anything that he's ever done, like anything, even the ones that were bad, there's a sense of physicality about him that instantly pays off. And when you go, okay. I can see you and I talk about this off. We talk about the writer's room for things like this. We go, <laughs> yeah. okay. All right. Is everybody sitting down? Give me some crackers. All right. I need some of that juice. Come here. All right, let's go. All right. So we know we got Will Smith done. All right. Will Smith is a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Okay. Will Smith is a doctor. He needs to have skills. What if he's, what if he's an army doctor? Yes. Write that shit, man, write that shit. Okay, okay, okay. What if, um, what if he's got a dog? Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. What, what if it was a puppy that was given to him by his daughter as they're fleeing the city? Oh my God, write that shit, man, write it. I mean, you can see that happening inside of it and it paints the picture quicker. Does it paint it effectively? I think yes. And th- does it pay off in the film? Absolutely. Because right. while well, you've got that, that electronic capture process, him putting on the little not Google Glass glasses and capturing all the stuff that there's video record and it can be preserved for all time so someone yeah. can eventually find yeah. it, blah. You have all that, but there is no tether to the internet because the internet will not work. You and I love worry. that part right. too. I don't love that just somehow shit's working. I really enjoy that. There wasn't a node somewhere or <laughs> he was able to go jimmy some f- some flickety doo hooker nut bolts someplace and it all worked. I'm really happy they didn't bother to go to that level. Wow well, yeah. And that they do kind of jungle it. They, they, they jungle where he's at, but they give him all of the availabilities of the stuff that would actually be there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's that's where they do show some of that, that Chuck-like behavior. The difference is that you're kind of unlimited. I mean, you have every store on planet Earth. Well, yeah. As long as you can, when it's dark, get back to someplace right. where you're not going to get eaten, you're kind of okay. Yeah. And I think that's why this might work as a series.
1: I've always I, felt that way. I, I have know, felt that we, we,
2: we, we've we've been in in I've forgotten the name of it. Oh, it's demolition alley. Demolition Alley is one of my dad's favorite films that we love to just sit and watch. It's because we always used to think about just getting in an RV and driving. Okay, well, (laughs) if you're going to do that, you don't want to get bothered. Well, it's got to have weapons on it,
1: right? Right, right.
2: (laughs) And so there it is. And so having something like that where you get to to just go and be protected and you just lock it down and the the Batmobile shields fly over the top of it so the goonies can't get you in the evening— and you kind of just go from city to city finding and looking for people and helping survivors and establishing a colony and th- i mean maybe well, we've just written something Well, well true be very that interesting. is that
1: is if there are survivors and they're not infected right see that's that's there and that's that's a big difference between the book the the original story and the movie but we're not there yet right the dog's fate And in the book, once he gains its trust, Neville sees that the dog is infected and cares for it till it passes. In the film, Sam defends Neville from a trap slash attack from the infected getting bit during the fight. I know we, we, we talked about the dog as a character and we, we, we talked about both of their, their fate, but it's, really important that we talk about it again for the story beats because they're both here in the book and in the film and and rightly so because they are impactful in both versions. In the book where Neville is concerned he's haunted by the death of his wife and daughter because they became infected by the the virus. Mm. Uh, His daughter dies and they're forced to you know by the, by this time in the infection process uh people aren't allowed to bury their dead at all you have to burn the bodies he literally has to take his his child and toss her in a giant pit filled with burning bodies yeah. and his wife wife dies but she comes back and he tries to he tries to keep her around but she's too violent she wants his blood Mm because you know the the vampiric virus So he's forced to actually kill his wife Mm. and then takes her body and puts her in a a crypt to where he goes and visits every ever so often so he's haunted by the loss of his family
2: yeah
1: Uh, again one of the one of the reasons why he has the alcoholism and the dog represents the first real sign of hope that he has for not being alone, even though it's somebody who can't talk back to him. Sure. He can still have a conversation with the dog. Mm-hmm. And he actually has a silent conversation with the dog. He's, he's watching the dog through the peephole of the uh, of his door as it's slowly walking its way up to get the food. And he's like, yeah, that's right. That's right, boy. Oh, everything's okay. Don't worry. No, that's that's some good steak right there. Yeah, everything's going to be all right. And then, of course, the realization that once he finally is almost able to have this connection with the dog, a real connection with the dog, infected. And now has to watch it wither Wither. away. and, And all he can do is care for it like he cared for his family before he had to lose them. And now it's completely different, but the same for Will Smith's version of Robert Neville, because... He's doing everything he can to not only protect his family, but, you know, protect the world. Mm-hmm. He, has to, he has to solve this problem, but he can't do it with his family around. It's too dangerous for that. So we get these great fractured flashbacks that culminate in the death of his wife and daughter in a horrible helicopter crash. Personally speaking, I can't tell you which one is more devastating. The immediate wiping out of your family just in a failed swoop, like in the film, or the torture of watching your daughter fade away and have to burn her body, and then the loss of your wife, then she comes back, and then you have to kill her again. I mean, I don't know which one is more more of a, 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 a messed up. Yeah. Oh, they're, uh, they're, they're both messed up. They're, the they're both
2: incredibly well-done storytelling minefields. I, I, I like both of them. Hmm. And I, by the way, I hate, hate, white-hot hate,
1: <laughs>
2: fragmented flashbacks. Right. Like, in just about every single instance I can remember, it's a piece of storytelling that I absolutely detest, except for this film.
1: This, this one kind of it, works because it seems like every time we get one of those flashbacks it's more of a dream or a remembrance because he gets woken out of it and it's it's a it's
2: a puzzle piece and the the neat part is that it's not an instant where you were and then continue from you're set sideways inside of what was happening and staring at still what was going on and then you get another you know another waft of what he had experienced and then he wakes up right. or and then something happens or whatever. And it's incredibly well done to get past the white hot hate of fragmented flashback (laughs) for me is amazing. And I thought that they did a great job with it here in particular, referring to the dog, the family, the deep seated root of why he exists. That semblance disappears. And as we're sitting here, it suddenly helps me understand why there was a very suicidal moment.
1: Mm. Climactic ending. In the book, a new society of living infected come to capture Neville and execute him for his murderous crimes. Wow. In the film, the infected find Neville's home and attack. And they chase our characters to Neville's basement lab where you got two different... Endings, depending on which version you watched. Mm -hmm. We've finally gotten to the point to where I can tell you why I don't like the fact that this movie is called I Am Legend. Mm -hmm. The whole point of the book leading up to the ending, especially once we learn that there is a society of people who have learned to deal with this disease and have rebuilt something for them. And we're talking about thousands of people. Not, sure. just, just, not just a small little colony, thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. Neville doesn't know anything about this, though, because he goes about his day staking right, these murdering. people through mm-hmm. the heart, thinking that he's getting rid of a disease, getting rid of... And, and the thing is, is that even when he goes through these homes and, and sees these people, he does have sympathy because he'll find people huddled together, holding each other. Oh well, oh, a mother and a, a child. Oh, it's very, very touching, but it has to be done. Stake, stake, with Ruth, and the revelation that uh, guess what you've been doing? You've been killing us, and we're going to. We have to kill you. You're our boogeyman. So when he's captured, he actually gets the realization he can't hate them for wanting to kill him because they've been his monster for so long. And now he realizes, I'm their monster. So as he dies, in his mind he goes, I, I, I am now a part of this new society's mythos. I am legend. Where is that in this film?
2: Yeah, it's, it's not. And again, I knew nothing of that until you just mentioned it. That's a, that's a thick piece of thought at the end of that book.
1: Well, they come for him, and he's like, okay, well, they'll, they'll, they'll take me. You know, it's this new society. They'll they'll capture me, and I'll be put on trial, and that's fine. I'll be fair. But when they show up, they start slaughtering the vampire creature, the dead vampires that surround his house every night with glee. So he's like, oh, shit, they're having way too much fun killing these things. Maybe they won't take me alive. So he starts defending himself, and he gets injured, and they take him anyway. So he's dying. He will die eventually, either by them crucifying him outside or the gunshot wound that he's slowly dying from and ruth comes in at the end and says okay here here's the thing i understand why you did what you did i can't blame you but you have to realize this is the new society and 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 i don't want you to suffer
2: that's the problem with making them
1: right exactly there's no way to have that conversation so she actually gives him some sort of a pill he says take this it'll make it easier so that he can die without being executed, or die from the gunshot wound. So he takes the pill, and he looks out, and he sees all the the faces looking up at him with with fear and anger and hatred, and and that's when he starts musing. He's like, "I am legend." Oh my oh my god, I'm, I am legend. Yeah. And he and he dies.
2: That's thick.
1: I, yeah, I know. That's really thick. <clears throat> and and like I said, even though they don't they didn't do it as well as in the book. The Vincent Price version is the closest we ever get to that type of ending. Yeah.
2: Is that a story that Will Smith would have signed up for if that's the implication at the end that, man, it's been great murdering all these all these creature things. Well, for... think
1: about it. That's why there's two versions of this ending. You have one version where he goes out as a as the the action hero. Here, we have found the cure. Take this, crawl in the in the hole. I'm gonna blow all these guys up. And save the day so you can go off and give the cure to any of these survivors you talk about. And end my misery. Right, end my misery. But then there's the other version right, where he realizes that these creatures aren't mindless because the Alpha just wants its mate back. Right. And he realizes this. And you even see the the point to where he looks at all of the pictures he's taken of all of the infected he's killed. And it's only at the end that he realizes what he's done, but he's allowed to live and go off with Anna and Ethan to this new colony to where he can keep on working on the cure and and save everybody. So he has learned, he's, he's learned a lesson, but the impact of that lesson is kind of just, it's shat on compared to the impactfulness of the ending of the of the actual novel. It's Hollywood in my mind.
2: Right, it's Hollywood homogenization yeah, is yeah. is what I would refer to this as. The the want to showcase the values of what we were talking about at the climax of the end of the story in the book are incredibly deep and incredibly thoughtful. And unfortunately, it's not something that sells movies.
1: Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: we we can look at movies Memorial, maybe some that will win an Oscar and get recognition for something, but to get to the end of the movie and to have there be some kind of lesson showcase, it's not just lesson though. It's because <laughs> we can't be like, teaching
1: lessons in in Hollywood, Mike. It, it's
2: it's like a, a showcased value that is not then bludgeoning people with it. No. We m- movies don't have that finesse. They just don't. I'm trying to think of the last movie that,
1: and, and that honestly, gave me that and
2: I, I can't think of one.
1: I have always felt that a true adaptation of Richard Matheson's original story would be great as a 13 episode yeah, something on a streaming service. Yeah, I, I totally the next
2: I would go 10. you
1: can even go 10. But still you can you can get that you can get the isolation. Mm-hmm. you can get the depression. Uh, you can even set it in modern day if you really want to. I I kind of feel like there's a certain charm to it with having it take place. I mean, compared to now, in a in in the past. Yeah. But but again, well, you can pull, still pull do it off, in, the, in the in the present.
2: If we can have a movie like Apollo thirteen in 1996, we can definitively have something yeah. in the 60s set today. Right. Yeah. And have could, it all pay we off. Could, Ma- totally. we, we pulled off Mad Men. Mad Men was yeah. was absolutely indiscernible as being something f- formal and new. Mm-hmm. It was it was a baptism of we are back then, and if we can pull that off, I'm absolutely certain that with minimal special effects, yeah, you'd be able to pull off exactly what we're talking about inside of a, a modern day audience for streaming service. Absolutely. Totally agree.
1: Totally agree. We've covered. Amazing ground so far where I am Legend is concerned, but we are not done yet. First, let's take a quick break and we will be right back with more versus machine. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting 2GuysTalking.com forward slash sponsors.
2: Darkly Enchanted Objects, the trio of heroes who have decided to find them all. You remember this series from the 1980s, you just don't remember the name. Check out the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and complete educational detailing of each episode of Friday the 13th, the series. Check it out now at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com.
0: Everyone knows you'll spend at least double the time you use to create the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right factor. And well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content and they're ready for yours now. Check out editorcore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. EditorCore.com That's EditorCore.com Welcome
1: back ladies and gentlemen to more Versus Machine We are right in the middle of pitting I Am Legend The Book 1954 versus I Am Legend The Film 2007 themes now there are some really deep themes in both both the film but specifically for me in the book Mm -hmm. I have three listed and we'll we'll talk briefly about each of them loneliness is number one I, I think is probably the biggest theme regarding I am legend until of course we get to the ending dealing with the the grief and the Depression, which leads to uh, the alcoholism for Neville in the book. Something Richard Matheson really gets... Uh, he, he gets into the mind of a man, too. Because when the, when the vampire zombies show up at night and they're trying to get him to come out, they're both male and female. And the females will do things to try to encourage Neville to come outside. Yes, he loved his wife and yes he realizes that this is you know it's an apocalypse but man is man sure. and and desolation
2: to, is desolation exactly yeah. so
1: for this being the beginnings of his loneliness of his isolation to live a sexless existence is also a, a deep part of his dilemma in the book mm-hmm. because it's like oh wow oh, wow she's she's dead but yeah she looks she looks nice and Wow, it'd be it'd be really nice to to, to be with to be with somebody just, just for a few minutes No, wait a minute, no, I'll die. I will be killed if I go out there. Yeah. That is something that they touch upon very briefly in the movie during those scenes in the video store where Will Smith is concerned, because you know, he's talking to these mannequins, but there's evidently this mannequin standing over in the adult section that he wants to have the courage to go and talk to eventually. The movie does a I, I again, I will say if I was going to give Will Smith an Academy Award nomination for any of his big budget special effects films, this would be it. You believe he is lonely. I, I mean it is it is almost heartbreaking during those scenes to watch. So in that regard, the theme of loneliness is is handled expertly both. In the book and in the film.
2: Yeah, all of those moments you're referring to are all lean-in moments, as I refer to them inside of movies that I really enjoy. Mm. I mean, again, I've seen the movie six times-ish, and every single time that he's either interacting with the dog, or he's interacting with himself, or he's interacting with something that you can't quite put your finger on that's not palpable, except, holy smokes, it is palpable. Yeah. And it's right there, and it's real.
1: Please say something. Yeah, yeah. it's just oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very uh-huh. impactful. The next theme I want to talk about, and I, I know you'll uh, you'll agree, survival. Survival is a huge theme Giant. in both the film and the book. Mm-hmm. Where the film is concerned, you have the Neville has the edge because he is army trained, so he also had access to all of this equipment, all of the all of this arsenal that he has. He knows how to use, whereas in the book, Neville has to teach himself how to use things. He Actually, he doesn't really use guns at all. Mm -hmm. He has a pistol, a pistol. Everything else is wooden stakes and hammers and blunt objects. Inside the book, do
2: they allude to the fact that the pistol would be his way out at all?
1: Sometimes, okay. Sometimes, because that—that's traditionally Cause also inside of a story. Few, he with, also had very few bullets for that yeah, pistol as that's, well.
2: That's very well said. Yeah, and see, I like that the—the the allusion to that, especially inside of a story where loneliness is a huge piece of depression, mm. which is a huge piece of trying to cope with anything. I mean, it's—it's it's, any of any of you that are listening right now. I guarantee you that some of you are lonely,
1: mm.
2: and it's naive to think that. People can just live in loneliness. You
1: can't. You can't eventually you can't because you are it will become too much for
2: you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No matter what you do. Neville in the book, the way that he has his house set up, Mm -hmm. he has this giant mural that he took from a museum and put it up in his his living room. That's his view because all the windows are boarded up. Mm -hmm. Now he has this beautiful picture that he gets to look at to pretend that it's something real that he's looking at. He has generators, so he has limited amount of electricity. He listens to records, so he has beautiful music to drown out the sounds of the undead outside of his 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 home. And then he has an abundance of alcohol to dull the pain. The problem is, is that it doesn't dull the pain; it just makes it worse. Alcohol is a depressant. All he's really doing is just making it making it worse for him. And there are moments in the book to where. He becomes so drunk constantly, he starts forgetting things and making and mistakes. M- making right. mistakes yeah. And and he'll he'll end up paying for those yeah. mistakes. And it's not until he gets those sparks of I have hope. I have a purpose. I will find this cure. And then he the the alcoholism kind of takes a little bit of backseat because now he's focused. He has a reason for living. Right. Neville in the movie, I mean, just already starts off. You've got He has a reason, but it's almost kind of a joke of the reason because in his mind, there's nobody left. He, he wants to find a cure, because he can fix this. He constantly says that. I can fix this.
2: Well, it, was his, it was his dying promise to his family.
1: Right. It was his dying promise to his family, but also, he in his mind, there's nobody left. Even though he has survivors standing in front of him, there's nobody left. There's no colony. There's nobody left. I think the Neville character in the film is portrayed of the survival just because it's the only thing I have left. It's the only thing I know to do.
2: It's and the, losing
1: the dog kind of knocks that whole repetition yeah, of a life apple cart over. Yeah, to, yeah, knocks well, the apple cart over. What, yeah. what
2: you're referring to is training, mm. because someone that would be as trained as he is inside of military techniques right, yeah. and anything else, that that's what kicks in when he gets down to his lowest point, mm. until you kick his feet out from underneath the lowest point, which right. is what happens with the dog, right. Uh, again, as we as we sit here and kind of chemistry set the whole thing together, haha, <laughs> it it's, it starts to have even yet another level that I had not considered. Now seeing it six times <laughs> in preparatory for my seventh.
1: Now the last theme that I want to talk about is not one that is covered very well in the film, and it's the the sense of the other, uh, and what I mean by that is Neville looks at himself, I am the last survivor of the human race. I am surrounded by the dead. It's me and them. And my life is now about wiping them out. I have to, I have to stop this. I have to make as few of them as there can be possible. Mm-hmm. Because all he has seen is these bloodthirsty creatures that want only one thing. Your, the, the blood that's pumping through your veins. That's all they care about. Well, until a little knowledge is dropped on him when he realizes, oh, society has moved on without me. I'm the relic now. I'm the other. I'm the boogeyman. I'm the thing that exists in the shadows to this society. The, the old is gone. I was the last remnant of that. And, well, eh, no, nope, my time is done as well. And we don't get any of that yeah. in, the, in the film. Yeah, and I I have a feeling, and, and we talked about it. The, the, the film it's I, I, it's too heavy of a subject. Yeah, I think to really portray in a popcorn movie starring yeah. Will Smith,
2: it, it, I, it, what it reminds me of is you you've probably had a variety of really good caramels mm-hmm. in your yeah. in, in your my life. life, yeah, but you've probably never had one that costs like thirty bucks, and I haven't either. No,
1: yeah. <laughs> but if
2: we were to have a thirty dollar caramel versus what you and I go get at Target, <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what we get. We get the ones that are given at Target where the way that movies and television and now streaming content work, it's not built for the $30 caramel. Yeah. It's, it's built for the go and get your 60 or so in a bag and enjoy them as fast as you can shove them in your maw. I don't know. And that's, that, that's really too bad. Because it, is, it is too bad. Uh, uh, the, the theme that you bring out here the most is the one of self-reflection. Hmm. And I hate it when people get deep into stuff like this, <laughs> but this one is because it's where you flip on the light switch. It it is literally the w- wait a minute, you're white on the left side moment right. that happens inside of this
1: that never happens inside of this. It's similar to the Twilight Zone episode with uh, the the woman who's got the plastic surgery. Yes, all throughout the episode, yes. all the doctors and nurses are in shadow. And they're all, you know, the woman is worried about how she's going to look when the bandages come off and they take off the band. By the end of the episode, the bandages come off and she's beautiful. She looks just like she looks like you and me. The problem is, is that in this world, everybody has the weird pig nosed, big yeah. lip look. Yeah. And to them, she's hideous. Yeah. It's the sense of the other. And it's that, handled. That's very well said. Yeah. It's, it's very, very it's handled well again in the in the story. In in Matheson's book handled wonderfully. Yeah.
2: And see that that to me seems like if you were gonna dismount from mm. a project like your book being turned into, into a feature film, that would be the thing that would drive you away. I yeah. mean, so are we really surprised that I'm, I'm that's not the piece surprised. that's not get trans yeah. that didn't get translated and hence he bailed?
1: Well it it got translated just not the way that it was right, in but, the book.
2: Right, but if the guy that wrote the book... Well, true, very it, true. It reminds yeah. me of the, the same... Really, I don't. this is a big brush, but it reminds me of the same thing that's happened with Philip Dick stories in the last 20 years, where the stuff that we've gotten that's based on Philip Dick books, it's okay.
1: Right, right.
2: It's there, <laughs> asterisk. Uh, the sample would be Total Recall, and then again total recall
1: total recall and total recall
2: where it starts to get even more hollywood homogenized so that is it there yes yeah.
1: somewhere and, under 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 all this other stuff yeah right
2: and, and and that's that's the pill you've got to take and i i think that there are, are many creators that really just want to have their book made into a movie that have to take all kinds of bitter pills like that mm. I, I i would i would like us to find something on the internet eventually that is that A listing of book writers, authors, people, screenplay writers, whatever, that have decided to not have their movie greenlit because it was going to alter into something that it wasn't. Mm. Um, Something that I I find really interesting, and it's an old television series, or an old HBO show, and it was Project Greenlight. Oh, yeah. And the the allure of Project Greenlight was that it was one of the very first behind-the-movies making of the movie... Where the veil and drapes of filmmaking were really, I mean, like, dropped. Well, yeah. Completely. When you get into the mind of what a producer is thinking, i.e., hey, man, I don't have the money for this. How are you going to pull this off? Then the pushback of the people that want the show to be successful, so much so that they will go, look, we'll pay for it. And- you don't get that. No, no, no. <laughs> you don't. I think that probably the biggest story of getting that inside of Hollywood is probably Arnold Schwarzenegger, where Arnold Schwarzenegger puts in, inside of uh, Terminator Three that entire mall smashy on the back of a a giant hook crane deal mm-hmm. that was all paid for by Arnold Schwarzenegger with a check. Really? Yeah. No, see, I didn't know that. And that's what I'm talking about is. I'm not talking about Arnold stepping in and going, hey, write a check. I'm talking about where people go, look, you've taken my idea and it's become something so skewed, I can't get on board. Hmm. I would, I prefer it if you did not use what is my story. And I think what's happened quite a, quite a few times is that they just go ahead and do it anyway. Whether they've got to change the script, something, get another star, blah, whatever. Right. I'm absolutely certain that's happened, but I'd like to know which ones did. Hmm. And it seems like something we could probably find on YouTube where started as a script yeah, and then finished as something different, YouTube, something like that.
1: Maybe a, a listing somewhere else. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, think...
2: I, I find all of those things incredibly interesting. And the the allure of wanting to get the story behind something and why is why I was absolutely enamored with the very first two, maybe three seasons of Project Greenlight. And then kind of skewed into what the hell are we doing here?
1: Is this a classic? Now we're referring to the book here, and just because it was, just because it old doesn't mean that it's necessarily a classic. Well, for me, in this instance, yes, I, I fully believe that this book, this story, is a classic. Uh, again, it's less than 200 pages. It's usually found in a collection of Matheson's shorter stories. But again, wow. Just, just, just the impactfulness of the subject matter mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what time period it's based in. It, it still has meaning. It, it, it's still a mirror to the to society, whether it be the fifties, the seventies, or today. I am a huge fan of, of of all of Matheson's work. He has had such a rich career in horror and science fiction. You'd be surprised. We're Everything that we've talked about today is going to be in the show notes over at versusmachine.com. And I am going to put a listing of everything that Richard Matheson has worked on. Hmm. And you are going to be surprised. There's probably a lot of things that you've watched over the years, in, in, in your younger years, mm-hmm. that you had no idea that Richard Matheson had anything to do. Hmm. He is a wonderful storyteller. I would definitely say that this book is a classic well that's my opinion about the book but we want to know what you think is i am legend by richard matheson a classic let us know by heading over to our website at versusmachine.com, click the contact button fill out the web form and let us know what you think about i am legend the book how does the adaptation hold up well i think i've made my feelings very clear where the adaptation is concerned it's it's not a great adaptation but let's look at it as a film Mm -hmm. instead mike what do you what do you think do you think it holds up as as just a film a, a a great piece of cinema
2: i think the biggest factor in the film is that it's will smith I mean, if, as much Agreed. as I as much as I hate that and the dog, yeah, you know, as much <laughs> as I, as much as I hate that, you know, he's the shiny marble inside of the film. There's no question. Right. If this had been some reasonably third tier C actor, this would not have the impact that it did. I mean, let's be plain. Right. Would it have been as deep? Could they have taken the story deeper into what it should have been based on what the book was? I think probably somewhere between needing to be an action hero Mm -hmm. and being the guy that's on the right side of what's going on here, which they paint with a heroic down to being the last man on planet Earth fixer, doctor, scientist. Mm. Okay, when I say that and you insert the words Will Smith, I mean, like, fireworks, trumpets. Yeah. you got to be kidding me. Of course, we're that's We're going to make guy. money. Right. Yeah. Now, when you want to put the spin as he is the boogeyman at the end, and he is the guy that was just simply out murdering people because he was trying to make what has become now a new society of different colonies of different people, because that's what we're looking at here, folks, in case you haven't figured it out yet, <laughs> is that Will Smith is essentially the... He, he is the rogue element That is seeking out people to bring back to his lair. And yes, he's trying to do science on them. But he is, unfortunately, in the end, murdering them. Right. For science.
1: For science.
2: And that's where it becomes a giant enigma question. Does the film pull it off? No. Could it have pulled it off had there been someone other than Will Smith at the helm? I think absolutely. But you can't take Will Smith, the superhero, I call that a close encounter. You can't take that guy as you've painted him as the heroic father that had his family killed in front of him by a helicopter accident. You you can't put those two things on a plate and go have a fork. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do that with modern day audiences,
1: unfortunately. Right? Yeah, Yeah.
2: So to to press on, is it a good movie? I think absolutely, especially on perspective. Especially on repeat viewings, which mm-hmm. I don't think this movie will get repeat viewings. I think a lot of people will take this as the one and done will, yeah. will Smith vampire movie. Wasn't that the one where he drove like the red Mustang? That one didn't
1: he have a dog? I think I cried. Oh,
2: dude, that's the one where the lion comes out, right? That's what this movie. The big becomes. bald,
1: not a Hulk, who comes out and fight. Yeah, I yeah. hated the
2: CGI in that film, right, though, dude. Yeah. That's unfortunately what this movie becomes. And it's not being given nearly the credit that it needs. True.
1: No, I, I agree.
2: To foster the discussion, is it a classic? It is not a classic. It just it doesn't have the makeup of a classic. Is it something that after listening to something as educational as our podcast becomes something different? You bet your ass. <laughs> yeah. You bet your ass. This on repeat viewings, especially after the death of both of my parents, this makes an incredible impact— on people that don't have the perspective of not having what you had.
1: Well, those are our feelings and thoughts on I Am Legend, the film starring Will Smith. We're more interested in knowing what uh, you think. Mm -hmm. So head on over to our website. That's versusmachine.com. Hit the contact button. Fill out the contact form and let us know, does this adaptation hold up? I know I'm slightly biased because I am all (laughs) about the book. Yeah, Uh, I I read this about once a year. Mm. It's it's something that I like to pull out off the shelf in October, you know, to celebrate Halloween, Uh, because it it does have that. it, It is it is a horror story, for as fantastical as it is, there is human horror in in the in the story. But I also enjoy these films. You know, not just the I am the Will Smith I am Legend, but I enjoy Omega Man for its 70s cheese, and I enjoy Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price for its, well, for Vincent Price, Mm -hmm. pretty much is the best thing about that film. And sure, yeah, we kid around and and we we may poke fun at uh, you know Will Smith fighting aliens and things like that, but there there's real meaning at the core of both this this book and this movie. And I really hope that we conveyed the seriousness of what those themes are. Until next time, I'm one of your hosts, Nicholas J. Hearn. And I'm Mike Wilkerson, your other host.
0: The machine is now off. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Versus Machine Podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Be sure to like us on Facebook and share your thoughts on this and other episodes inside our online archive of programs that span a wide variety of genres. It's all about comparison, and we want to know what you think. The links to do all of this and show notes for this episode are available at VersusMachinePodcast.com. That's VersusMachinePodcast.com. Thank you for listening and provide us with your thoughts and contrasting opinions to keep the gears of the Versus Machine running. Power Down.